0: GX on Agriculture, with Doug Falconer. Good afternoon and welcome to GX on Agriculture. Coming up on today's program, grain markets have been mixed this week. We'll hear from PI Financial Commodity Futures Advisor Adam Piccolo about how wheat and canola have fared this week. The Executive Director of CanFax spoke at the Saskatchewan Beef Industry Conference in Saskatoon yesterday. We'll hear from Brenna Grant. And we will continue our conversation with Marlena Borsch of Mercantile Consulting Venture in Winnipeg as she discussed uh, the pulse market and provided an update to the Saskatchewan pulse growers through their Pulse of the Prairies podcast. All of those stories and much more coming up on today's edition of GX on Agriculture. But first, it's time for the Agriculture Outlook with Precision Weather, and that's a presentation of Milligan Bio. Milligan Bio now offers bio meal for your livestock, giving your animals more protein, more energy, and more of what they need. It's also brought to you by Sean Prahitka. Your REMAX Blue Chip Ag Division Specialist. Um. Welcome back to GX on Agriculture. Grain markets were mixed this week. PI Financial Commodity Futures Advisor Adam Piccolo says wheat was up 12 cents a bushel, while canola was down about $2 per metric ton for the week.
1: Starting off on the canola front here, we've seen A bit of a rebound from the lows. The March contract this week reached a low of $791 a ton. As of today, we're sitting at about $810 a ton, which is down approximately $2 a ton on the week. When it comes to the March Minneapolis wheat contract, we've seen a bit of an increase here this week up approximately $0.12 a bushel to where we sit at $9.18. So on the canola front, I do believe we were a little bit oversold there for a while. Uh, The March contract now has still gone down for the year, approximately $70 a ton. Um, We were quite a bit lower than that, again, when it reached Just below that 800, I believe we might have seen a little bit of producer selling um, just given the way that the prices have been. I am watching very closely what is happening in the soy market here with the improving crop conditions. New selling could emerge anytime on the bean side of things. So in order to expect uh, continued buying from there, I believe the Argentina forecast models uh, will need to trend drier into mid-February. But for right now, those markets are staying stable and again, maybe helping out on the canola front as well.
0: He explains why wheat is on the upswing.
1: Well, looking on the wheat side of things, again, $0.12 a bushel, uh, I I wouldn't say is uh, a big move by any means here. If you are looking at a Minneapolis wheat contract chart, it has been really just going sideways here for the last couple of months. The market experienced kind of the highest close since January 3rd. As traders do maybe see some potential for tightening supply ahead, there is a a tight supply now for India. Increased talk of further production declines in Ukraine and, and talk of the potential for a, a poor crop in the U.S. have been seen as some positive forces, but kind of like what's going on in, in Brazil and in Argentina, the weather can change quite quick, so it's something to watch.
0: And Piccolo provides an outlook for next week and beyond.
1: So I think traders definitely want to see the the canola contract build uh, on this holding $800 a ton here. If we do see a little bit more kind of momentum here, we could see, you know, closer to that 830 on the nearby March contract come again. But again, there needs to be some outside market forces helping whether it's on the soy side or the Canadian dollar. But we have seen today here the Canadian dollar go above that 75 cent level here. There's been a little bit of renewed optimism on the stock market side of things with very strong markets uh, on the TSX, S&P, NASDAQ here this month. So that's, I believe, helping the currency, which might be weakening canola a little bit. So that's definitely something to watch for next week.
0: Adam Piccolo is a Commodity Futures Advisor with PI Financial in Winnipeg. It's time now for the Ag Review portion of our program, and that's a presentation of New Era Ag Technologies in Swan River. GX94, Ag Review. Manitoba's potato research landscape is getting a funding injection to improve infrastructure. The governments of Canada and Manitoba are investing $98,970 through the Canadian Agricultural Partnership to upgrade the University of Manitoba's horticulture storage facility so it can conduct potato research. The investment will allow researchers to conduct post-harvest potato storage research that will be representative of on-farm storage at producer operations. The upgraded storage facility will be able to control environmental conditions including carbon dioxide levels, temperature, and humidity. It will also align with other international research facilities and will be able to create more training and capacity-building opportunities for undergraduate and graduate students as the university strengthens partnerships with producers and processors in the potato sector. A Manitoba ag organization needs volunteers for ag literacy activities in March. Agriculture in the Classroom Manitoba is short about 100 volunteers to fulfill requests from teachers for Ag Literacy Month. More than 200 classrooms, representing close to 5,000 Manitoba students, have already registered for presentations this year. Potential volunteers don't only have to be farmers, they can come from any part of the Ag sector. Participants will be working with students in grades 2, 3, and 4. Imperial Oil has announced approval for an investment of $720 million to build Canada's largest renewable diesel facility at its Strathcona Refinery near Edmonton. The Calgary-based company said the facility will produce 20,000 barrels per day of renewable diesel and is expected to start production in 2025. The facility will use low carbon hydrogen and biofeedstock combined with a proprietary catalyst to produce the renewable diesel, which Imperial says will reduce greenhouse gas emissions by roughly 3 million metric tons a year compared with conventional fuels. The low carbon hydrogen will be produced with carbon capture and storage technology and supplied by air products. Imperial is developing agreements with third parties for biofeedstock supply. The project has moved forward quickly to help secure feedstocks such as canola, which needs to be run through crushed plants and turned into canola oil before being used. The plant and animal health center located in BC's Sumas Prairie will be rebuilt in a new more secure location. The current lab was heavily damaged in the flood of late 2021 and the government says that although it has largely returned to full operation, its location leaves it vulnerable to future flooding. About 40 staff members work out of the lab, providing fee-for-service tests, including pathology, bacteriology, serology and molecular diagnostics and virology for veterinarians, livestock producers, the general public, and other government agencies. The new facility will support B.C.'s agricultural and veterinary sectors, including disease and virus diagnosis in wild and domestic birds, mammals, fish, reptiles, and amphibians, as well as hundreds of plant pests and diseases. A pair of U.S. senior senators is urging the Biden administration to get tough with Canada for flouting obligations to its North American trade partners. Democrat Senator Ron Wyden and Republican Senator Mike Crapo lay out their concerns in a letter to U.S. Trade Representative Catherine Tai. The letter says American dairy producers still aren't getting the access to the Canadian market they're entitled to under the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement. It also describes Canada's planned digital services tax as discriminatory and raises similar concerns about new legislation to regulate online streaming and news. All three, the Senators say, would give preferential treatment to Canadian content and deny U.S. tech companies fair access to the market north of the border. The California mushroom farm, where four people were killed earlier this week, had also been the scene of gun violence just this past summer court documents reveal
2: there was a shooting at the California Terror Garden in Half Moon Bay in July when a farm manager allegedly fired a gun into another manager's trailer after threatening to kill him. Yi Tao Bing survived that day but not the shooting on Monday. Bing was one of four victims shot at that location. Three others were killed at another mushroom farm nearby. But there's nothing to suggest the violence of the summer was connected to this week's killings. The suspect's 66-year-old Chun Li Zhao told station KNTV he wasn't in his right mind. He said he'd been bullied and worked long hours, and his complaints were ignored. California officials are looking into possible labor violations at the farms where the shootings took place.
0: I'm Jackie Quinn. And that's the Ag Review portion of our program. It's mainly sunny and minus 17 degrees in the Yorkton Melville region. I'll have your complete weather details coming up at one o'clock. The executive director of CanFax spoke at the Saskatchewan Beef Industry Conference in Saskatoon yesterday. Brenna Grant notes cattle prices have risen over the past year.
3: So we've definitely seen things start to turn a corner last June uh, when we got that rain. Um, And we've really seen uh, calf prices take off starting last August. And we've got to remember that Prices in Canada are really tied to the exchange rate and so about 60% of the price increase we saw last fall was directly related to the weaker Canadian dollar. And we're expecting um, further support to come here in 2023 due to uh, supply fundamentals. But we've got to remember that price is that relationship between supply and demand. And demand is the caution right now as we're monitoring both the domestic and international consumer and how resilient they're going to be at the grocery store this coming year.
0: She's pleased that demand for beef has remained strong in spite of price increases at the grocery stores.
3: Absolutely, demand has actually held up really well. We've actually seen a rebound here in 2023. So... Retail beef prices sort of led the way in terms of food price inflation back in 2021. And we saw some pushback from consumers at that time. But in 2022, we actually saw other commodities catch up to beef in terms of food price inflation. And those price relationships are really important uh, when a consumer is standing at the meat counter, making that decision between beef, pork and poultry and getting back to those historical price relationships last summer. Um, it is really helpful and so we have seen demand pick back up here again in 22 and we've just been so impressed with how resilient that consumer demand has been in North America.
0: Grant notes cheaper and more expensive types of beef are still popular among consumers.
3: Um, it's been a really good mix of both. We've got to remember that even though we have food price inflation and uh, consumers in North America are spending more on food, the percentage of their total disposable income that goes to food is relatively small. And so we continue to seek a demand for a range of cuts. Um, but when there's concerns about recession, one of the things about beef in a recession is that as long as we have those price relationships with competing proteins we tend to see um, trading down within the category from high priced middle meats down into hamburger meat and it's one where we expect some of that to happen here with higher food prices in 23 but we're definitely still seeing consumers looking to put beef on the plate.
0: U.S. cattle numbers are down quite a bit she says that will have an impact on beef prices in Canada.
3: Yeah, so we're obviously tied very closely with the US market. Um, Their uh, cattle herd is down 6% from the peak back in 2018-19 and we're expecting their supplies to tighten throughout the year um, in terms of beef production. Um, One of the things that is going to impact that down there is if they get a second year of drought and if that results in more cattle going to market just because they lack feedstuffs and that might mean that the drop in production there is less than what is currently being projected, but that tightening of North American supplies is a real driver for the coming year, particularly the further we go into the year."
0: Grant is uncertain if cattle numbers in Canada dropped in 2022.
3: Yeah, so we don't have January 1st, uh, 2023 inventories yet from Statistics Canada. They won't be published until March. But one of the things we have to remember is even though we've seen um, continued consolidation of the beef cow herd in Canada, our production has been supported over the last several years by net feeder imports. So we've been a net importer of U.S. feeder cattle since 2019, um, and that has continued. Uh, We've seen um, a pickup in net imports basically since September of 22. Uh, that means that we're not going to see as big of a decline in beef production and as much of a tightening of supplies as the U.S. is going to see.
0: She outlines some of the things cow-calf producers will have to be watching for over the next three to six months.
3: Yeah, so a couple of things. First of all, we're watching the demand side of the equation uh, really closely, both domestically and internationally. Um, purchasing power of the consumer is being challenged. Uh, but the other thing we're watching closely is what's going to happen in terms of whether here is the U.S. going to get a second year of drought. Um, or will they have a good Um, corn crop, because if we see any reduction in feed prices, that is going to be price supportive um, in the second half of the year when we see those beef production numbers tightening up.
0: Grant doesn't expect cattle numbers in the U.S. to rise anytime soon.
3: Increase. we're actually probably a way off of expansion in the U.S. Um, They did have drought in 22. Uh, Right now, while there have been improvements in the moisture situation, looking at potentially a second year of dry conditions, uh, they are not going to expand until they have grass um, and feed to support that.
0: She also outlines the profitability of the feedlot sector right now.
3: So feedlot profitability, we've seen um, that cattle prices increase throughout 22. um, And uh, in the fourth quarter, uh, there were some classes of cattle that were probably back in the black um, on a cash basis when selling cash. Uh, We've also, though, seen some disappointing basis levels uh, as the U.S. um, market has tightened up. Faster and therefore um, have seen larger price rallies. Um, but it's one where, uh, for the feedlots, it's really about controlling um, costs and being really savvy on their risk management um, in terms of their profitability. So, just like in the cow-calf sector, there's lots of variability um, in what margins are for feedlots, uh, depending on their risk management for inputs as well as outputs.
0: Grant notes corn imports to Canada aren't as high as last year.
3: Actually, um, corn imports dropped in September, October, November back to the 2018 to 2020 average, so pre-drought levels. Um, Obviously, we had very large imports uh, from the fall of 21 right through until last August. Um, But those have slowed down um, to more historical levels.
0: She adds that 2022 saw more Canadian beef exported globally.
3: Absolutely. So despite the fact that we were out of China in 22, we saw a pickup in other Asian markets, um, so Japan, South Korea. um, We also saw increases to Mexico.
0: Grant explains what that's attributed to.
3: So, we would definitely say that the other Asian markets that um, have a culinary demand for similar cuts as what was going to China, um, they were able to pick up and provide that competition to take that type of product that had previously been going to mainland China. The other aspect is the exchange rate, so that weaker dollar, um, particularly in the third quarter, um, helped our competitiveness against uh, U.S. exports. um, and other major exporters.
0: She says less Canadian beef going to mainland China is hurting producers here.
3: Right, And that's where it's so important to have multiple countries that are taking those cuts. And have it's really been um, encouraging to see how much those other Asian countries sort of picked up and filled that gap. Um, overall, total exports to Asia are looking that they're going to be um, slightly softer here in 22 when we get the final December data. Um, but it, it's not as bad as uh, it would have been otherwise.
0: Brenna Grant is the executive director of CanFax. She spoke at the Saskatchewan Beef Industry Conference in Saskatoon yesterday. It's time now for the Livestock Market Conditions and their presentation of Heartland Livestock in Verdon. Livestock Market Conditions. U.S. live cattle futures for February are trading at 156.72, that's unchanged. April live cattle trading at 160.82, up 30. March feeder cattle trading at 183.30, up 45. April feeder cattle trading at 187.35, up 35. February lean hogs trading at seventy six ten down ninety two, April lean hogs trading at eighty six fifty two down forty seven. And that's the livestock market conditions. Please stay tuned. Gx and Agriculture will be back right after this. Welcome back to Gx and Agriculture. I'm Doug Falconer. As you heard yesterday, Saskatchewan pulse growers have turned to a well-known expert. To provide a pulse market update, Marlena Borsch of Mercantile Consulting Venture discusses Chinese demand for peas.
2: Pea exports were actually kind of on schedule um, into the end of October, I think in October we shipped something like 325,000 tons and in September was... Um 464, 65. But when we got um, received, um, finally the November export numbers for China, they were only at um, 49,000 tons. So that was a big reduction in exports to China we compensated to some degree with exports into Bangladesh which which was very welcome because last year we didn't do anything to Bangladesh Um, but I found it slightly worrisome on the Chinese side. Now we were only expecting um, to do about a million and a half tons to China this year in our um, export projections and I think we'll probably remain close to that but the big change factor that's looming in, in the room obviously is will there be peace used on the feeding side and what we look at is is um, what is the protein value of peas relative to that from soybeans and there we calculate very favorably Um, but it's a smaller crop and unless you're really sourcing hard people don't tend to switch into the smaller crops and given the covid developments in china in general um, uh, gdp growth is no longer as strong as it used to be Um, so there's some concern i think On my side, if China really needs the piece, I think they work price wise, frankly. um, But it's a question of some of the bigger feed manufacturers wanting to bother with the smaller volumes. So that verdict to me is out there a little bit because China does, in general, react to price signals. And I think, um, you know, peace should. Um, work into the feed rations particularly as oil oilseeds um, stay strong and we have seen an increase in, in oilseed values over the last 12, particularly soybeans um, so the verdict is out there on the feed side without the feed side um, I don't think we can create a lot of momentum by demand to really increase prices so that's you know the elephant in the room and I'm not sure you can really answer that other than to observe you know will some of the feed manufacturers just react um, to the price signals or not um, so that's the big worry there the longer term worry is really russia and china and so you know what we're watching there is some of the geopolitical changes in the world and obviously the invasion of ukraine by russia has changed some of the political alliances and it seems that china is siding, maybe but certainly not criticizing russia um, too strongly they have been enjoying cheaper oil imports from russia um, cheaper uh, commodity imports from russia um, for their um, lack of criticism so you know what will happen to peace from russia into china because uh, russia is the, the world's second largest and last actually the largest producer of peas in the world a lot of the peas are used domestically for feed but they're also export and we have seen that into bangladesh um, there have been competition there um, and um, so far um, there was no final protocol for peas from russia into china Um, We have been told that there is a protocol, it hasn't really been publicized, um, but several months ago they they seem to have had an agreement on that. I'm not sure if there have been peace flowing actually into China, I doubt it so far, but now that protocol exists. I would say that our ability to ship bulk peace from the west coast into China is hard to compete with, um, but there are rail links railings and, um, into the wrong end of China, but nevertheless there are railings, and in the long run I think um, we'll probably see some Russian peace move into China as well, so that's something we'll have to watch, and that's um, you know where Canada um, has to also work on efficiencies here in order to stay competitive into some of these destinations so longer term i think russia is a threat into china as well Um, so far we probably have a market share of 95 to 97 percent they have been buying a few um, US peas and some Australian peas and so on over the last 12, even some uh, very small volumes of French peas. Um, so we have enjoyed extraordinarily high market shares there because of our ability to ship out from the West Coast, um, but we'll have to to um, make sure that we stay prominent into that region as well. But for this year, again, you know, to me, um, will China be a major change factor? Will depend on, on their decision if they will use peas for feed or not? And the verdict bears out for me
0: she admits she doesn't have any significant numbers on green peas
2: Um, not specifically i mean two major regions that we ship into and that's south america where we need very good quality we compete with the united states there and i think we we probably have um Probably we have about normal exports here to date. And then, of course, uh, there's, again, the Asian market, of which uh, China is a major part. And I think the green pea volumes they have taken have been fairly good. So, And, and we can see that, you know, green pea prices have had premiums again this year, occasionally. And, and I think that will probably stay this way.
0: Borscht expects to see some pea reductions this year.
2: I would say it will mostly be on the yellow pea side um, because uh, simply the bulk, the bits at elevators haven't been as aggressive actually uh, for the yellow side. So um, my bias would be that it would be more on the the, um, yellow pea side.
0: She then offers her outlook for chickpeas.
2: I think the biggest factor on the chickpeas is that we have seen um, very good exports. So year to date, I think we had about 75,000 tons, which is... um, you know, 176% of last year's performance and, and um, growers have noticed that. So export performance has been very good, particularly because uh, production levels in other countries, namely um, Mexico, um, weren't, weren't as good as it anticipated. So I think the market will remain strong. Um, most of our exports go to the United States, and uh, the Hamas market certainly you know has been very very significant for us that'll stay there but we 've also uh, shipped significantly more than normal uh, into Pakistan, and then Middle Eastern market, like Lebanon have been very good as well. <laughs> And I think that will stay there. I think um, growers have noticed um, the improved flow. One of the problems we have is we have very few facilities that can actually handle chickpeas uh, efficiently and size them. So that problem, I think, stays (laughs) for now. But I think uh, especially uh, when we think about the weather and soil moisture developments that are still um, difficult in southern Saskatchewan and southern uh, Alberta, chickpeas are certainly suited for that. So combined um, with the good export movement and certainly um, also uh, much improved prices, I think we could easily see chickpea acres up by 25% or so. So last year, if I remember correctly, we were at something like 95,000 acres, which um, you know, it's not very high, but I think we can see 120, 125,000 acres coming up. So um, this year's production was about 125, 128,000 tons. So that could easily go up to 160,000 tons. And uh, given the markets, it depends a little bit what's happening, um, you know, in some of the other production areas. But I think um, we should be able to accommodate that with export levels, you know, of around 160,000 tons as well. So it's um given some of the agronomic considerations i think it's a it's a good crop to grow some of the new crop price signals are good there were some 45 cent prices out there um so you know it all, all kind of comes together uh, showing that the market uh, really desires a few more acres from us and um, I, I don't think there should be a problem with the markets i don't spend a lot of time on the chickpea markets um, mm-hmm. um but when i look at overall production levels in the world um and the use of chickpeas has sort improved in some areas too um, I think it's um, particularly with the agronomics of them it's a good crop to grow in the next year as well.
0: Borsch then offered her thoughts on faba beans.
2: Faba bean agronomics work quite well for a lot of growers especially if you get a bit of rain and um, it um, the dry conditions over the last couple of years have been hard on them so um, you know that takes away a bit of the attractiveness but a bigger detractor is the ability to market them and um, you know if you grow varieties uh, that are suitable for feed and for the pet food market it hasn't been too bad um, and I think that's clearly um, from a market point of view where we need to go it's uh, more the feed varieties um, I question our ability to compete with European and um, Australian fiber beans into the Middle East I know we used to do that in the 80s and 90s um, but there's different competition out in the world now and then there's the question on the demand side um, will some of the fractioning facilities also include uh, faba beans um, which would be very helpful because then you would be talking about a more consistent contracting program uh, for some of those acres and uh, I think the verdict is out I know there are people experimenting with that and working on it so I think once we solidify some of that domestic demand on a larger level I think we will automatically see faba bean acres coming up again, as it is for this coming year. I don't see anybody being particularly aggressive about attracting faba bean acres and giving good prices on the major grains. As you said, it's it will be hard to increase some of these small crops, which tend to come up, you know, when there are difficulties in the major grains. So again, I think the markets need to be a little more solid for growers to feel comfortable. So while major grain prices are very good, I don't see that we will be making a lot of inroads into that commodity for now. But it certainly is an interesting crop. And, um, you know, as I said, if if we can harness some of the fractioning side, that would be a game changer for them as well.
0: And she finally outlines what pulse crop producers should be watching for over the next few months.
2: Well, for the ongoing crop I'm a big proponent on being at least three quarters sold or getting uh, towards that um, with prices that make sense in terms of uh, return per acres. Uh, having said that, you know we are in an environment where weather swings have been very violent across the world. So, doubtlessly, we'll see um, some responses to seeding levels and uh, conditions coming up. So there is always some volatility that um, you know if you have covered most of your costs, that you can maybe. Spend speculate on. Um, But other than that, um, you know, prices are not bad, other than I think pre's are uh, a little bit on the low side, um, given the markets. But there's really not a lot of point on carrying a lot into the new crop you know, as as a cautioning uh, sign for the 22 crop. On the 2023 crop, well, I think farmers will be doing return per acre calculations and doing some of the comparisons there and then decide within the crop rotations how that stacks up and, um, you know, decide accordingly. As I said earlier, I think peas uh, especially and and red lentils are a little bit on the low side in comparison to some of the major crops. So that uh, concerns me a little bit. You know, having said that, um, where you can do some profitable forward selling, and that applies to all grains um, early on uh, to cover some of your production costs, that's often a good idea. Um, As I said, that's not specifically on pulses, but on all the major crops. So really nothing highly unusual from last year. As I said, um, weather is volatile, and uh, we have seen for several years going now, uh, problem areas showing up in the world that, um, you know, give selling opportunities and, uh, you know, as you or to your own crop I think farmers should keep that in mind. Right now South America is very dry. It has been very warm in, in Europe um, so that's an area to watch uh, and it's also been very dry in North Africa so um, you know that will affect their production levels so um, you know besides watching your own crop also keep an eye on how it uh, looks in terms of production and domestic production um, by some of our importers as well.
0: Marlena Borsch is with Mercantile Consulting Venture in Winnipeg. Her comments come from the Pulse of the Prairie's podcast. Commodities Update. Canola futures are trading up for the most part this hour. March canola trading at $809.80, up $3.70. May canola trading at $810.10, up $3.00. March Minneapolis wheat trading at nine twenty per bushel up two cents March Kansas City wheat trading at eight sixty seven and a half up two and three quarters of a cent March Chicago wheat trading at seven forty nine and a quarter down three and a quarter cents March corn trading at six eighty two and three quarters up a quarter of a cent March soybeans trading at fifteen o nine and three quarters down 13 and three quarters of a cent. March oats trading at 389 and a half, up three and a quarter cents. And that's the Commodities Update. Welcome back to GX on Agriculture. It's now one o'clock. Time to check the GX94 precision weather forecast. For the Quill Lakes, Hudson Bay, Swan River, Broadview, Mooseman, Indian Head, and Yorkton-Melville-Roblin-Russell regions today. Cloud and some sunny breaks. Winds north-northwest at 15 to 30. The temperature falling to minus 20, with a wind chill of minus 32. For tonight clearing, winds west-northwest at 10 to 20, a low of minus 25, a wind chill of minus 36. For tomorrow, mainly sunny. Winds west-northwest at 15 to 30. A high of minus 20 with a wind chill of minus 31, a low of minus 27 with a wind chill of minus 40. For Sunday, mainly sunny, winds west northwest at 15 to 25, a high of minus 22, a wind chill of minus 33. For Monday, mainly sunny, a high of minus 20. And for Tuesday, partly to mainly sunny, a high of minus 22. In the Paw, it's minus 24 degrees. Swan River minus 19, Dauphin and Roblin minus 18, Brandon minus 14, Show Lake Russell minus 17. Regina is at minus 11, Saskatoon, Broadview Mooseman minus 14, Hudson Bay minus 17, Indian Head minus 13, Winyard Wadena Kelvington minus 15. The Yorkton-Melville region has a mainly sunny sky, a north wind at 24, gusting to 35 kilometers an hour. 69% is the relative humidity. The temperature is minus 17 degrees. With the wind chill, it feels more like minus 27 degrees. That's your agriculture weather, and that'll do it for GX on Agriculture for today. Be sure to tune in again on Monday at 12.15 for another edition of the program. It's time now for the news and sports headlines.